Hey folks, Aaron here. I have some exciting news to share with you, so please don't skip this message. We'll get to our new stories in just a moment. Don't worry. This podcast has been delivering stories to you for roughly five years now, with today's episode featuring stories numbered 1169 and 1170. It's wild to think that we've crafted so many little journeys for you to enjoy. But I also know that that means that finding older ones can often be a challenge. Well, I might have a solution for you. On November 12th, we're publishing our very first Cabinet of Curiosities book with our partners over at St. Martin's Press. As of today, the cover has been revealed and the pre-order page has gone live. So, you know what I'm going to ask for next, right? Every single pre-order that we get will go into a bucket that counts toward the book's release week sales, which means that you find folks have a great shot at making this a New York Times bestseller. And knowing how amazing all of you are, I feel pretty good about those odds. This book will be a collection of hundreds of cabinet stories that you know and love, plus a handful of new ones. And best of all, they'll be sorted topically, making it really easy for you to pick your favorite category to read or to look up a tale you remember but haven't been able to find before. And the book is gorgeous, too, making it a great addition to any bookcase or bedside table. I've put the link to the official Cabinet of Curiosities book pre-order page in the episode description, so just tap on that and let it take you to your favorite bookstore where you can pre-order your very own copy. And now, on with the show. You know, film has changed a lot over the last 130 years. We went from short clips of only a few seconds long to three-hour motion pictures. Silent films gave way to the talkies, and given the amount of computer-generated effects in today's movies, it might be safer referring to many of them as animated films instead of live-action pictures. But when film was still in its infancy, as directors were learning how to fool the audience with tricks of the lens, actors were also on the hunt for new ways to keep everyone on the edge of their seats. Now, stunt doubles have been used since 1903's The Great Train Robbery, but some actors preferred to do their own stunts. And sure, we still see that today. Just look at any film where Tom Cruise is running or hanging from an airplane, a mountain, or a building. But back in 1919, one silent action star stood above the rest, Harold Lloyd. Born in Burchard, Nebraska in 1893, Harold walked a rocky path on the way to stardom. After performing with Thomas Edison's motion picture company early in his career, he headed west to try his luck with the burgeoning movie industry out there. After a series of rejections and a studio head who wouldn't give him a shot, he met his future collaborator, Hal Roach. Now, Roach was in charge of his own studio, and together, the pair made a series of silent shorts that drew in big crowds. Lloyd's Lonesome Luke and Glass characters were often involved in chaotic, madcap situations with a lot of slapstick humor and some pretty dangerous stunts. For example, in the 1915 short called Lonesome Luke Messenger, Lloyd and a fellow bike messenger get into a number of shenanigans. One scene has their bicycle knocking someone off a ladder before careening into a tree. These are the kind of stunts that he became known for, and they helped rocket him to the top of the box office. And so it was no surprise that Lloyd would find himself being courted by the media. He often appeared in magazines and on posters advertising his films. And in August of 1919, several months after signing a new contract with the Pathé Distribution Company, he was invited to Witzel Photography Studio in Los Angeles for a photo shoot. But it wasn't just him. He also had his fellow co-stars and a box of props at his side to help sell his adventurous escapades. 
Among the various objects inside that box were some papier-mâché bombs, completely harmless and not filled with explosives at all. And that's when one of Harold's gagmen, a guy named Frank Terry, lit one of the fake bombs and handed it to the actor. Harold had been holding a cigarette, which he had tried to light using the wick from the prop. Plumes of smoke began to pour out from the top of the bomb, and he knew that so much smoke would ruin the shoot. So he went to place the object on a nearby table, and that's when the worst thing happened. It blew up in his face. Apparently, Pathé had been planning on a scene in an upcoming film, not starring Lloyd, and it involved the use of some very real bombs. One of these explosive devices found its way into the prop box at the studio, and of all the ones that Terry could have handed him, he picked the only real one to do so. The explosion nearly blew the roof off, leaving a gaping hole 16 feet above their heads. It also fractured Terry's upper dental plates into two pieces while rendering the photographer unconscious. But Harold Lloyd was still standing, despite being closest to the blast. Sure, he suffered burns across his chest and face and nearly lost his eye. Thankfully, he wound up saving his sight. Unfortunately, he did lose one thing. Well, two, really. His thumb and forefinger on his right hand. Once he had healed and got back to work, though, Hal Roach and producer Sam Goldwyn invented a prosthetic device for him to wear. Goldwyn had been a glove salesman before founding his own studio, so he put that knowledge to work and took a rubber mold of Lloyd's complete left hand. And then, according to silent film historian Annette D'Agostino Lloyd, no relation by the way, the mold was reversed to simulate the incomplete right hand. The missing fingers were then removed from the mold and inserted into a leather glove which slipped over Lloyd's right hand, giving him the appearance of having all five fingers intact. He only ever wore it while on the camera. When walking about town, he simply kept his hand jammed inside his pocket. And if he had to greet anyone, he shook their hand with his left. Harold Lloyd was one of the most talented stars of the silent era. He pulled off some of the wildest stunts ever captured on film, including hanging from a giant clock. And he did it all after surviving a bomb blast and losing two of his fingers. And for that, we should give that man a hand. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We've probably all had a situation at work where we're asked to do something we don't want to. Maybe someone left, and now we have to take on their responsibilities as well. Or a manager is trying to avoid hiring a new person, so they're just adding those old duties onto our own list. But even though we would love to say, not my job, and then walk away, we don't always get that satisfaction. The truth is, if we want to stay employed, then sometimes we have to perform tasks that we were never meant to do. British marine biologist Jeffrey Tandy ran into something similar in 1941. Except if he'd said, not my job, then World War II might have gone a lot differently. Tandy was born in 1900 and graduated from Oxford in 1921. He then attended Burbeck College in London for graduate school, with a focus on marine biology. After his studies were over, he took a job at the Natural History Museum in London, where he worked for over 20 years studying cryptogams. Notice how I said cryptogams, which is a word used to describe plant-like organisms that do not produce spores or flowers, not to be confused with cryptograms or puzzles involving encoded text. Basically, Tandy's line of work was algae, moss, and fungi, not word games. But during the war, he found himself in the very strange position of an impromptu career change. He had joined the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve and was sent to Bletchley Park, which happened to be a massive mansion. It was built during the 19th century, but after Admiral Sir Hugh Sinclair, the head of the Secret Intelligence Service, bought the estate in 1938, it became home base for Allied codebreakers. And it was there that Tandy ran into a bit of a hiccup. You see, the Ministry of Defense was in need of someone with, well, to borrow a phrase from Mr. Liam Neeson, a particular set of skills. Cryptography skills, to be exact. But Tandy wasn't a cryptogrammist. He was a cryptogamist, the foremost expert in algae in the reserve, in fact. But those two similar words got confused, and the Ministry of Defense came knocking. And Tandy was in no position to say no. So for two years, he served in a secret code-breaking group, biding his time as a member of one of the most important and covert units of the war. And then, in 1941, he got his big break. Some German U-boats had been destroyed by Allied torpedoes, leaving behind a number of documents that had been salvaged from the wrecks. But this wasn't just any paperwork. Among the materials rescued from the bottom of the ocean were instructions on how to decipher enemy messages written using Germany's Enigma machine. In other words, the key to understanding what the Germans were saying to each other in secret. Unfortunately, those papers were unusable in their current state. They were soggy and hardly readable. They needed to be dried out and repaired before they could be used. Enter Jeffrey Tandy. His previous experience in handling waterlogged objects and organisms such as algae were finally being put to good use. He grabbed some supplies from the museum and he got to work. His skill set had come in quite handy as he dried out the documents. 
Once they were in good enough condition to be read by his colleagues, they were passed along to the codebreakers for further deciphering. The Allies now had a way to unlock intercepted German communiques. And of course, it proved invaluable to the war effort. Thanks to Tandy's expertise, he shortened the length of World War II by as many as two to four years and saved countless lives as well. Jeffrey Tandy didn't throw his hands up and tell the Ministry of Defense that it wasn't his job. He did what many of us do when thrust into occupations we're unqualified for. He faked it. Until he made it. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.